0: Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy and exhausting. Join me, Shana, some of the Twinkle EYFS team, special guest speakers and other early years practitioners as we talk honestly about our experiences. Whether you're listening for CPD, on your commute or to help you relax, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. Hello lovely listeners, it's Shana here from the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast with another great episode for you to listen to. How lucky are you? Now we have got a wonderful guest, Jordan from the charity People, to come and chat to us about tackling that scary phrase, the attainment gap. Don't be afraid of it, Jordan's here to help us and make us feel better about what we're doing. But before we get there, we have got another segment of Only in the EYFS, but it's slightly different as we're on the summer holidays for a lot of us. I asked on social media, while we're on the summer holidays, what phrases do you miss the most? Let's take a listen.
1: This week in Only in the EYFS...
0: Pat Riki misses the phrase, what time is pickup? Lauren Smith misses the phrase, what you doing? I think we've all heard that one. She says, literally every time I move, even the slightest bit. Yep. Toddlers love to ask that question. Siobhan O'Malley misses the phrase, I need a wee, I need a poo, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, so and so won't be my friend. I had it first, it's mine. Some right crackers in there. Don't worry, in a couple of weeks, Siobhan, you will be hearing them again. Don't you worry. Laura Wooler misses the phrases. It's mine. Give it back. You're not my friend. And puts in brackets. Lasts for all of five minutes and then all are friends again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Feel that one. And last but certainly not least, I'm sure you will all agree with Helen Louise when she says she misses the phrase, but why... That's it for this episode. Tune in next time for more antics in only in the EYFS. So there we go. A wonderful tongue-in-cheek little segment there. If you had completely forgotten those phrases, you know what? You're welcome. You're welcome for being reminded of those great phrases you always hear in an earlier setting. Now we're going on to our main event where we're going to be talking with Jordan from People about the attainment gap. Now, I know that this is a little bit of something that might be useful for a lot of people, especially at this time of year when we're coming back to work, coming back into a new cohort and we're finding out information about our families and we're already being asked to put plans in place to make sure we get our wonderful children where they need to be. So hopefully this will help you. Let's have a chat with Jordan. so great to see you today thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about this very important subject I think the attainment gap yeah I think that's every earliest practitioner's worst nightmare That's absolutely yeah but we're gonna make it we're gonna make it easier for our for our listeners you're gonna give yes. us some advice we're gonna talk about it and we're gonna make it less scary right yeah less
1: scary words and make it more friendly I think yeah, yeah.
0: Exactly. Super. So before we get into that, though, why don't you tell us about who you are and um, how people uh, get involved with the education sector and uh, yeah, what you do?
1: Yeah, um, so my name is Jordan, um, I grew up in Dublin in Ireland um, and I moved to Scotland when I was 19 for university. Um, I only planned on staying in Scotland for uni but I just completely fell in love with this country and I've been here ever since. I'm married to a Scot and have children here now so uh, this is my home. But my background has just been in early years. Um, I started at college, I was going to go and do primary teaching but I just completely fell in love with early years um, and I've been in the sector for about 12 12 years kind of having different roles there um, so as an early years practitioner equity and excellence lead um, I've done some lecturing and childhood practice as well and throughout that time I actually became trained in PEEP and started delivering um, some sessions and completely just fell in love with it so um, when the job at People came up about a year ago I had to apply and uh, this is where I've been ever since and so like that the organisation itself is an evidence based training programme and like that it helps to close the attainment gap so like that, that's what we'll speak of it today and like you said it can be a bit of a scary word or a big word for a lot of people and it is quite complex and um, but hopefully what I can talk about today is making it a bit more normal and what how we see it in everyday practice and how we can use that so hopefully a bit
0: it will be a bit clearer by the end I hope oh I'm I have no doubt I have no doubt because I feel like it's one of those things that is just so big isn't it like yeah you could talk about it for hours as well. <laughs> yeah right and argue to the cows come home about different aspects of it and all sorts so hopefully we'll it will put it into perspective especially for early years practitioners and parents and families as well because our poor parents need to help too because if school practitioners and private nursery practitioners are struggling with the attainment gap oh my goodness parents are probably in headlights and I feel awful for them
1: yeah there's a like there is a lot of jargon around it and it can be quite complex but really we can simplify about what we can do as parents at home to to help those outcomes so
0: let's do it let's let's get straight in then let's break it it down what in human terms what does the attainment <clears throat> gap actually mean? So I <laughs> I always like to think
1: about like if an alien came down from space and they asked me how, how would I explain it? So I like to keep it really simple. So I think the first thing to think about is actually how we measure the attainment gap. So what we do in the UK is we compare educational performance between students of different socioeconomic status. And we particularly do this with English and maths. So what we know from studies and research, attainment has been around for decades and decades. So we know that if you come from disadvantage um, and underachievement, that this tends to be intergenerational. So like that children who have parents from backgrounds who are poorer and may have not had a good experience with education, they tend to do less well and they tend to do less well uh, socially and intellectually, particularly when they're starting school Uh, when you compare them with their peers from more advantaged backgrounds. And unfortunately, these differences, we can measure them at 22 months. Um, So very, very early on. Yeah, and like that, this gap tends to get wider as children get older. So essentially, children who start less well off tend to become adults who are then less healthy, less wealthy, and then they pass that on to their children. So that's what I mean by it being intergenerational. That cycle just tends to continue. And what we are trying to do, I say we, the country, what we are trying to do at the moment is to ensure that the UK is a really good place for children to grow up. And, and what we actually want to happen is, despite your background or what area you're in, or if you're in poverty, every child will have the same opportunity as the other but like we say that is very complex and there is quite a lot of challenges around that but that is essentially what it is we want every child to have the best start in life which means uh, having the same opportunities as each other and that is essentially what attainment means and for us as practitioners teachers and parents and um, there's a lot that we can do to help close that gap there's a there's a lot of pressure on education to do it yes but like I said I work with families and parents as to what they can do to help close that gap and have better outcomes for their children
0: yeah yeah and you were saying about closing that gap between advantaged and disadvantaged children can you give some examples of what maybe different types of disadvantaged our children
1: face? Absolutely. So I think initially when people think of disadvantage, they think, uh, initially we think of poverty. So more or less affluent backgrounds. But there's lots of factors to that as well. And uh, we see different cultures, people who come here with English as a second language. Uh, I mean, you can imagine first off, you know, bilingual children coming in, they're not going to have the same level of English communication as their Scottish or English peers, of course. Mm. Also families who have a disability at home as well that's a huge cost factor and things like that. And we're obviously in the midst of so an energy crisis right now, cost of living crisis, and so like that, that has a huge impact on finances and like that, the opportunities that you can provide for your children when you have those extra stresses at home. So there's lots of factors that go on behind the scenes that will actually put you in disadvantage. But like that, the biggest one we tend to find is that it is parents who have not had a great experience of education, and like that, education has changed so dramatically, like even. since I was at school. But like that, if you don't have that good experience, you're not going to really pass it down or you may not see the value, you know, something like reading stories at a young age. And like that, it's up to us to to really try and change that view and help parents and empower them that, you know, they can change that cycle with their own children.
0: Yeah, it's what's going on in my head is a lot of breaking the cycle, isn't it? And, you know, yeah. changing attitudes, changing opportunities for our families so that like you say not just the children have access to this but also our families and our parents who may have had a bad uh, experience at school or even in life because you know let's be honest things happen poverty affects the families just as much as the children abuse you know traumatic events that all have an impact on the families as well as the children and it's our it's our hope i think especially in early years i think we do that really well is helping the whole team you know absolutely it's so important and like that like when we think about disadvantages
1: we tend to think of something you're born into that can never change. But also some people can have a great start but then experience disadvantage for a short time. And like that one, one something I'll go on to talk about a bit later on is, you know, support for for mums. So becoming a mum is is very difficult, but it's also a really crucial time for babies. And mm. we know that attachment is very important. So being able to provide mums with mental health problems very early on, picking them up early on, is going to have a huge impact on those children later on. You know, if you have parents who are struggling with attachment you know you need to go in and support them very very early on and like that that can be a very temporary thing and like that but it's just about putting that support in in place and putting it in early
0: yeah and you know what i think something to that's really important to point out is that any child and any family will at some point or can at some point need support with attainment because like you say it's not just oh you're born into a disadvantaged background so you're always going to be on the back step you know you might come from a well-off family and then cancer hits your family Yeah,
1: Yes. Yeah. anything that affects, you know, your immediate support system is going to have a huge impact. And like that, it can be temporary, it can be long term, like that we've seen in the pandemic. I mean, some children actually thrived Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, throughout that period. Not a lot, (laughs) but some children actually did. And then for others, it was very detrimental and set us back. And like that, that has contributed to widening the gap even further. But it really depends on, like I said, where you are, where your support system is and what has happened during that time. Um, you know, some families lost their jobs and had a huge financial impact on their families. Some people were able to then work from home and spend more time with their children. Um, so like that, it's all kind of relative into what we're dealing with at the time, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, so much has changed over these past couple of years. It's yeah. a bit like, <laughs> whoa, how much more are we gonna be thrown? It's okay, we can we can totally do this. But this is why, you know, people like you are here so that we can, you know, support as many people together as possible. So I'm just thinking about where we are at the minute, you know, families and uh, practitioners are getting ready for the new school year. We're going to be getting to know each other. So what kind of things, on the front line as it were, what kind of things can practitioners look out for in the classroom to spot perhaps a potential disadvantage?
1: I think when we're thinking about early years, practitioners who are looking at preparing children for getting ready to go to school i think it's really important that we are looking at their well-being and uh, their emotional and their social as opposed to you know that can they count to 10 can they do yep. the colors do they know their shapes you know we've all seen those reports i have written those reports myself um, and and them on to teachers but i think it's just so important now that like we're looking at their emotional readiness and you know having those conversations about big changes that are going on in their lives as opposed to like the aspects of the curriculum. I think like that as a practitioner it's really important around this time of year and to have a good relationship with your parents um, and find out what their worries are and support them in that big transition. So you know getting them ready to put their uniform on in the morning building that independence of getting themselves dressed even like simple things like maybe you should start walking the route to school over the summer holidays and um, so that's not a big scary thing or you know if you're going to take the bus whatever it may be thinking about what parents are maybe worried about and giving them tips on how they can make that transition a bit easier and like that it's very much I think around the child's well-being and like that they want to feel safe and secure when they go went to school and if they have that safety and security then all those other aspects of the curriculum writing their name and counting uh, will follow but like that I think as a practitioner on the front line they need to think about that emotional well-being because I, th- I think if that's in place then everything else in our curriculum will follow quite nicely but Absolutely. that's that's the most important I feel.
0: Yeah, and I, do you know what? I think all of us early years educators feel that. I think we're all in the, the same wavelength on that. And that what's that's what makes our key stage uh, really unique, I think. We've got that holistic view really ingrained into everything we do. Yeah, And I think we have such a unique opportunity, especially like in June, July, and then over the summer and in September, the way that early years children and families enter schools is very different than say a year three child going into a year four classroom. Like we do open days where the families come in in July, We'll do transition, we'll do home visits, which I think are absolutely vital. They're
1: so valuable.
0: They're so valuable because obviously for the practitioners, you get to, you know, see the child thrive in their home environment. You get to meet the parents comfortably in their own space and you just get to have a chat and see them. But also on the other side of that, it is that family's safe space. It's just that little relationship build straight away, straight from the off, before they even get into school setting it's like hey we're here for you literally we're meeting you where you are at literally so it's developing that kind of relationship from the off and making that safe space because I think one of the things that I found difficult as a practitioner was maybe perhaps parents being too scared to tell me where they're at yeah Because at the end of the day, if I don't know where they're at, I can't help them. But there is a lot of stigma and there's a lot of self-esteem involved. And, you know, parents, especially new parents, there is a lot of comparison, isn't there? You know, they'll go to their friend's house and their baby's walking before my baby's walking. Oh,
1: it's it's terrifying. Isn't
0: it? Right? And there's a lot of pressure. And maybe historically, it might have been the case that, you know, schools have certain expectations, of where they need to be. And there is still a need for that, you know, some of it necessarily, but it's definitely more we're meeting the children where they're at now. And the most important thing is to just tell us and we can help you. There's no judgment, there's no criticism. It's just if we know we can help you. It's a team, a a village team effort,
1: you know? Absolutely. And like you said, uh, you know, whenever I spoke to parents and they told me what their worries were, it was things that they just should not have even had on their minds. So I've always had parents that were like, oh, like, I mean, he's never at the art area. I don't think I've ever seen him write his name. Like, is that okay? And, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, um, she's she's still wearing nappies. And, oh my God, is she allowed to go to school with a nappy on? It's like, of course they can. It's like, absolutely. And they're worrying about all these things that, you know, P1 teachers in Scotland certainly just did not care Mm about, you know, what I think teachers want to know every time that I've asked, you know, when I'm doing this handover, they just want to know, who is this child? what are they like as a learner what what do they like to do they want to know their interests they want to know how they can support them and like that knowing where they're at knowing what the parents worries are but it's certainly not you know can they count can they write their name nothing like that and like that when parents tell us these things it's always like really that's been the worry because that's not really what we need to worry about so like that, that communication is just so important and like that putting parents minds at ease and having them feeling calm about it then like that the children automatically feel really calm about it then going to school and not having that pressure
0: and I feel like the biggest thing that I think unlocks this whole attainment gap thing is safe space isn't it because if you think about it if we are under stress right I do not work well under pressure okay like I cannot do my best I can't think straight all of this stuff our children absolutely can't do that so I think the biggest way to support our families is creating that safe environment and to do that, get to know the families, get to know the children before, you know, what's their favorite toy at the minute? Is it Paw Patrol? Yeah. Great. We'll make sure we'll get some Paw Patrol stuff on in the first couple of weeks. And that instantly in itself narrows the gap a little bit, but then also having that safe space for parents and carers, because once they feel that they can trust you with their worries and they can be open about it, we can actually take action and it actually makes that a lot easier
1: it's so so important it's it really is relationships are just completely at the heart of it and i think that's i actually think that's like one of the challenges that isn't early years at the moment is that there's quite a lot of pressure on practitioners in terms of paperwork and all the policy and guidance that it takes away from what these practitioners are trying to do on the front line, which is build relationships with their families and their children so they can support, but they are completely overwhelmed with the paperwork. And like that, it just goes back into this cycle of, you know, trying to capture, trying to measure the attainment. Practitioners are bar- bar- bombarded with um, what, where are these children? What are they doing? Measuring the outcomes that they spend so much time actually not with the children because they're up to their ears in paperwork like that when they should be on the floor with them. And it's completely, it's what I hear time and time and again when I'm making I'm visiting nurseries now. it's that that precious time? to make for parents and for the children is starting to dwindle a little bit because there is so much pressure on them to record this information and and enhance it it's always about where are they and what is the next step and how do we enhance this and like that and with the ratios and the number of children they have it's just it's a huge challenge it's such a challenge for them
0: honestly, by the time I've done all the paperwork on what I should be doing, I've lost the time that I should have done it. Do you know what I mean? Like, all right, I've done all the pre prep. I've done all the planning. Okay. Oh, wait, no, that was a month ago. Now the milestones changed. Like,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: We're literally fighting time. So I totally get that. And I think that's a really unique challenge to early years, because of the amount of paperwork and stuff. Do you think there's any other different uh, unique challenges for early educators?
1: I think, and I, I will always say this, I think the biggest challenge in early years is their pay scale does not represent the work that they do. And I have been there. And there's a huge, huge issue as well with the fact that as an early years practitioner, we don't all have the same job title. So in England and Scotland and Wales, they're all different, but actually just up here in Scotland, every local authority calls nursery workers, different things. So we used to be nursery nurses, it has been nursery workers, early years practitioners, pedagogues, child development officers. You know, (laughs) we don't have this title that, you know, a primary school teacher is a primary school teacher, but we don't have one and like that. And I think that's a huge, that huge impacts then our pay scale about what we actually do because you know I remember when I went and got my mortgage and they were like what are you and I was like um, I'm an early years practitioner and they were like so nursery nurse so I was like so for the bank I was a nursery nurse mm-hmm. um, but they couldn't really understand it but you know there's not this unified job title there's I think there should be one in the UK and mm-hmm. like that and have a pay scale that represents the work that we are doing and the value that is happening in early years like I said it's it's a <laughs> we're right there at the starting gate we're picking up all that early intervention putting things in place and um, for like that when children go into p1 the paperwork gets more and more every year and uh, more policies come out every year that we need to keep up to date on and I think that's just such a challenge because I really feel that you know if you're not valued for the work that you do in any work you know you can't always give your best if you're tired if you're burnt out and like that you don't feel valued it's hard to, it's hard to give people the best and I think that translates everywhere education the NHS whatever it may be you need to have you need to value your staff um, and like that I think if there was a recognized title for our early years friends and like that a pay scale that does represent
0: that would really help um, they'd be able to give a lot more. Amen, amen. So Jordan for president. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start writing little placards now. Yeah, we're going to get you in. All right, we're going to get you in the parliament. <laughs> we're get you on stage. Like say, that. do you know what? I really hope someone is listening. Let's manifest that because really... so many people say it and we're not saying it for nothing.
1: I have not worked in a nursery establishment we think for maybe like three years, but I will never stop fighting for a, a unified title, a proper pay scale and have the same value as that teachers have ever, ever, ever.
0: <laughs> it's absolutely why we're here. Like, cause we're right at the beginning of their life journey. Yeah. N- 90% of a human's brain is developed between birth and five. 90%, that is a lot. We work with health visitors. We work with uh, social workers, speech therapists, You know, all of, there's so many different things that has to happen in that stage of life. It's a heck of a lot more responsibility.
1: It's a lot. And the heart of it is how much I think they care. So like that they care for their children and the families. And they work with all these multi-agencies. And it's just, yeah, it's about time that we give them some... Respect that they deserve in in this right. field because it's so important. Like you said, they're at the starting gate, and it's really crucial that we're getting that
0: stage right. Right, absolutely, and that's what we're constantly told as practitioners: is you have to get this right now. Okay, all yeah. right, that's fine. What are you doing to support us in doing that? You know, mm-hmm. okay, I'm with you. Before this gets too political, <laughs> I need to keep going. Yeah. Also, thinking about the people we're serving, even our clientele are unique because. Some of them might be babies. They can't tell us what they need. They can't tell yep. us what their disadvantages are, you know? And like you say, there's no book on parenting. Mm-mm. There's no Absolutely. book. Nobody, you don't go and get a degree for being a parent or a carer. Like it just, it happens. And you just get told kind of to deal with it. And that's really difficult. And I probably know a lot more about child development than the parent of their own child. Because I had, you know, I did this degree in early years and all of this stuff and how debilitating and demoralizing that must be for parents who think that they don't even know their own children because they were never taught is not okay. And I think support needs to be there more as well.
1: I know that like every government will talk about early intervention early intervention but as you said where is it (laughs) where is the support because the services are just getting cut back cut back cut back to the point where we'll be on the bare bones of it and you know we we can't have that it's just far too important if we want to close this gap and have all of these opportunities for the children given the best start then we need to go back there and put that support in place give us the funding please
0: absolutely I like we can do all we can as parents as practitioners as you know uh, local authorities and uh, private businesses um day nurseries we can do all we can but unless it starts from the top we there's we're only going to get so far and i'm sure i mean i know i've seen the impact already but what impact have you seen on these challenges for everybody involved oh god where do you even start
1: i think one of the biggest impacts well i think If you think about the last few years, we have had a global pandemic and then we jumped straight into a cost of living crisis and there was no space in between that. It just happened overnight and in particular for early years staff, um, you know, they were on the front line of all of it. So they were in those nurseries, working in the hubs. Um, so it never stopped for them. And like that, we've jumped from one to another. And I think there is a massive staff burnout. And I really believe that, you know, like we just said, you need to look after your staff. Their well being is really important. And if it is, then that will flow down to who they're working with, so their children, their families. And, you know, if you look at like in an any earlier setting, they'll all follow maybe a different theorist that they like, like Frobo, Montessori, Ericsson, wherever it may be. But all of, this, all of these childhood theorists have a similar commonality, which is that you must have a quality learning and quality teaching environment for children to thrive. Now, you can't have that if your staff are burnt out mm, <laughs> and right. they're overworked. Um, so like that, it just goes back to being able to support them in a way that they can deliver this high quality teaching and a really high quality learning environment and really good relationships with their families. Because like the, the impact right now is, like I said, burnout. And because of all these services have been cut back, there's more pressure than ever. And One of the biggest things that we are seeing, like that I don't have exact figures because I think we're still probably processing it, but the post kind of COVID um, speech delays that we're seeing with children now, anecdotally, when I go around nurseries, I hear this so much, that children now are, they're not really where they should be There's a huge issue with speech and language. The waiting lists, certainly up here in Scotland, are phenomenal. So parents are kind of, what can we do while we're on the waiting list? practitioners are we need more support um, to support parents <laughs> and like that it's just this vicious cycle of what we can actually do and what the impact is is going to be huge because potentially these children will start school and they will maybe not have been assessed yet and they won't have the right support in place when really government policy is saying that they should have every support they need before they go to school but right now certainly in Scotland it's looking like most of them won't especially in terms of speech and language so that impact is huge um for everyone involved
0: yeah and it's the same here in England as well and I've often from experience of being uh in classrooms when I've tried to to get EHCPs put into place, for example, because there's clearly support needed, or doing all these reports and stuff, uh, writing reports to GPs because they need a written report from schools. They don't not say that they don't believe the parents, but that's the parent saying, I think there's an issue here is not enough. So then I've got to write a school report backing up the parents, like, yes, I think a pediatrician needs to be involved here. Yeah. We do all of this work, we get all of this evidence, all this data, and the parents do as well, and then we just get told, oh no, we can't do anything until they're 5 years old. Yeah. Yeah. It completely contradicts government policy and it's like early intervention, we do all the things but then other departments are telling, are being told no, that's that's not how we do. And it's just it there is such a big impact on mental health, I think, all round. Like you say, it's absolutely knackering to even go through these processes anyway. But the poor children aren't getting support to narrow that attainment gap when it could just, you know, I'm not saying it's easy to 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 do it, but it should be a heck of a lot easier than it is right now. And just to get those processes done.
1: It's re- it's incredibly stressful. I mean, I always say to my friends, I said I have an early years background and I'm so stressed with my my son's starting school this year and he was a COVID toddler so he has a speech delay. And I said, All the information I know and I'm stressed about it, I can't yeah. imagine what it's like to not have background information. I mean, we've been through this process where it was, you know, speech and language don't see them till they're three and then COVID happened and it was like the waiting list is too big, so now speech and language won't see them till they are in their final year, so just to go to school. So my son's going to school in August and I think he he just had one assessment there the other week um and you know that's us Raising flags from when he was just before two, and like that, I raised flags early. I've got all this information behind me, and we're kind of still no further forward. So, I'm just so passionate about trying to help parents that you know don't know who to go to, they need to be signposted. And, but like you say, the government will tell us to flag it early, and then it's like the list, the list, Mm -hmm. list." we're we're just going around in circles. Unfortunately, like you said, we don't have it in place when it needs to be,
0: yeah, and then it impacts the other children as well in the nurseries because you know support isn't there for those children and it hasn't an, it has an impact on their mental health and then it impacts yeah. the rest of the cohort. It's just this horrible vicious circle. And I'm feeling quite emotional about it because I, I'm i not a parent and I can't possibly imagine what you're going through. But hearing your story, hearing the stories of my the parents that of, of the children that I taught like this is not new. And that's mm-hmm. what makes me sad because there are so many and I'm sure there are listeners right now listening that are also getting emotional like either this is my story or this is my class's story you know and that's just like not okay so I don't want to I don't want to depress everybody we can do this this is why we're here we're gonna you know we're gonna do this together we're gonna get as much support with each other as we can. And that's why, you know, Jordan's here. So I feel like, because Jordan works for the company people and she'll tell us more about that in a minute. I feel like Twinkle and people were born out of these struggles. You know, it's a, we found that we are not getting support in certain areas so let's do it you know the CEOs of Twinkle Susie and John Susie was an early years teacher I talk to her all the time and we you know we talk about stuff about early years and what our customers need and what what early years practitioners need because there's a gap here can we fill it can we help you know the Twinkle was born from teachers absolutely yeah and we understand and we get it you know and we're constantly trying to think of new ways we do planning we do um, assessment we've got ai now jordan i'm Amazing. terrified <laughs> no it's, 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 it's I'm not gonna lie it's great but it can literally write your report for you we've got this ai Thing. you know like chat bgbt whatever it's that like is that. amazing right. but this is, <laughs> it's you should try it because it's it's like put just in a maybe put your boy's name in and just see what happens because it's it's amazing but it's because we can see the documentation is too much like it's taking too much time away from the children let's help our practitioners you know yeah um, we do games resources activities the lot and i know people do that too what kind of things do you guys do because you've seen this attainment gap and you've thought right let's do what we can what do you guys do
1: Yeah, so essentially, if you've never heard of us before, um, we are a charity and where we essentially came from was actually secondary school, a head teacher, a secondary school head teacher, uh, realized that pupils weren't where they were supposed to be. I wanted to investigate this further, but like that brought it back and was like, right, this is happening way, way back at early years. This is where the intervention needs to be. So this is where all our studies went into. So our, we provide a training program, which is called the Learn Together program. And essentially what it does is it focuses on parents, what they already do with their children. We value what they do and it's really about making the most of the home learning environment. So when the program was put together, we wanted to make sure that it was evidence-based, that you'll know the importance of that. When, we have, when we're when running programs, we want to know that this has an impact and this is going to make a difference. Um, so we've got two big studies um, like that, which you can find on our website. I'll not go into too much detail about them just now and take up all our time. But essentially, one of the studies was done over five months and what the program found was it actually made an additional two months progress um, for child literacy and like that had huge implications for parents and their confidence and what they were able to do at home with their children it's really important for us that that is evidence-based like that we can go on um, and we can use that and know that it's going to have an impact for whoever wants to use the program most of the program is used in early years but it's not exclusive it's got antenatal and like that we can do it in schools as well but essentially if you haven't been to a peep group before it's very much a very relaxed atmosphere everyone's kind of on the floor. and there'll be experiences for children parents go in and there'll be a talk time so maybe it's about transition to school and the PEEP practitioner will talk to parents about what their worries are what their struggles are and things that they can do to help at home so that we know the research out there already that the home learning environment has a huge implication for children's outcomes and um, so anyone listening who's not really familiar with the home environment go and look at the EPSI study or growing up in scotland two really good studies about why the home learning environment is really important but essentially what we are doing in our sessions is we show parents Uh, So we'll provide an experience maybe of what to do with your children in terms of literacy, maths, whatever. We have 74 topics in total. So there's really everything there for you. And then what we do is we call them our Tadas. It's things to do at home that we'll then give to the parents. And then over the next week, they will try something out and then they will come back and tell us how they got on. But really the key message is is about having the value on parents that they are the expert in their own child, not us, Mm -hmm. they are. And that they might just need a bit more support in terms of making those links with child development one of the things we always say we always do songs and rhymes and stories but we you know we'll do like head shoulders knees and toes and We'll maybe talk about what the value is, what the learning is and head, shoulders, knees and toes. And parents are like, oh my God, you know, I sing that all the time, but I've never <laughs> realized the the learning behind it or what it's actually doing for my child. And what's really important for us is that parents will go home, they will do these ta and they will not need to buy anything. They will not need to go out and get anything. It is about everyday experiences. So like that, if, it's, if you're out for a walk with your child or you're getting them to help you do the shopping and counting and weighing, all sorts of things, it's really, really important for us that there's no cost involved because I like thought, I mean, especially in this day and age, mm-hmm. it's just a, a nightmare. But it really is just about building up confidence in parents and empowering them like I said they are the expert and what they will do with their children is making a huge difference already but by coming to peep groups it will make even more of a difference because they'll have a bit more awareness of their everyday conversations and everyday things that they're doing and um, sometimes you know I will say you they just need like a gentle reminder because sometimes I do as well sometimes I'm in a rush when I come in with the shopping <laughs> and I fling it in um, and sometimes I'm like you know maybe let the let the four-year old do this and maybe let them count what's there Jordan you know yeah Um, I'm like that I it's really important to not come across as an expert because I have years and years and years experience but you know I have two children and sometimes I'm like oh my goodness what am I doing (laughs) I am winging it and it's just when I delivered sessions I just loved it because we're I'm like we're all in the same boat like you said we all have similar stories We're all stressed out by certain things. This time of year, we're all very stressed about that big transition to school. And like that, it's just a nice, safe environment to talk about this. Um, and what we can do and like that there's a lot we can do in the peep groups but we do a lot of signposting as well because like that there is lots of support out there if you are struggling and like buck bug is fantastic as well directing people to stay in plays at their nurseries like that the health visitor and i don't know if you have them in england now but in scotland unfortunately we have the infant mental health team which is so sad that we need it but obviously an amazing resource to have but like that as you can imagine that is dealing with parents and children's mental health that you can get referred to by your health visitor Um, and it's run by child psychiatrists, child psychologists, early years practitioners as well. We have them in every NHS health board up here only in the last three or four years really which is why I'm not sure if you have it in England but like that that is another avenue of support that we can offer especially in terms of emotions, mental health and well-being and like that that will all if we put that in place in those early stages that like that that will help narrow that gap later on and hopefully that family can have better outcomes if they are picked up early so like that, you know just using your multidisciplinary team around you as well we're not the beyond end all but we can absolutely if we can't help we can signpost you to someone who can and we work with a lot of other charities and organizations as well which is really nice like that the more that we can network with them and then like that direct our families to the right support that they need is just so valuable so valuable
0: I just think it's vital in early years and that just kind of encompasses what it's all about isn't it whether you're in school in a classroom at home whether you're a social worker it doesn't matter it it takes a village to raise a child I know I've said that before but it's just the more we all help each other the better it's going to get for everyone yeah and I think people do that really well in creating that community and bridging that gap between parents and practitioners and being able to develop those relationships and support each other and I just think that's great so in terms of practitioners being aware of that what more can practitioners do in supporting the parents in, you know home learning or just communicating their needs or empowering them really what more can we do as educators
1: I think like that in terms of like if you're in early years you always want to do everything and help as many people as you can yeah, and yeah. that is the nature of the job and sometimes that's just not always possible but I think like that familiarizing yourself with areas of support that you can direct families to and like that it doesn't need to be people and <laughs> um, so like we said there's so many things most people always have book bug that's re- that's really well known as well the book trust but like that providing experiences within your establishment as well like even something as simple as stay and play where parents can come in and like that just get to know them a little bit better and that way once you build that like solid relationship then you can find it a little bit more about what those issues are and like that signpost them or provide something that will help them like that it really is just about knowing your parents it was I know we said that at the start but it just comes back to it you can't help people that will not ask for it there's only so much that you can do and early years in particular put so much pressure on themselves about how many and like that people say how many people will come to the peep group and i'm like you know Mm. even if two families are there and that is two people that you're helping right and you know we can only do so much so don't put so much pressure on yourself. We know what we can offer. And if you can't offer it, I'm sure you can direct them to someone who can. So try and like I said, there's so much challenges this on practitioners right now. You know, give yourself a break. <laughs> You're very good at what you do. Do what you can. But like that, you can only open the door and see how much support you can actually offer so try not to put too much pressure on yourselves but like that we're we're coming into a time a very uh, times are changing but like that hopefully we will see a lot more funding and a lot more support in early years and like that it will hopefully trickle through then to our families and our and our youngest learners
0: mm, yes hopefully hopefully and I think it's a really important message about you're so right we try and do everything and that's just not possible we're human too it's the
1: nature it's of the different. job isn't it but yeah. sometimes you just have to yeah Yes. absolutely
0: know. you know and I'm, I'm thinking now about like our parents and our families and our carers what would you say to them if they were maybe still quite nervous about forming these relationships with early years educators <sighs>
1: I think it's totally normal. I think there's a lot of fear of judgment. I think there's a huge, not so much a gap, but I think sometimes they see you as the expert and they're maybe scared to say, oh, you know, I've not trained them yet. We've not done this, we've not done that. And there's a huge fear of judgment. And I can honestly say to any parent out there, no one will ever judge you for that there's just it's not in our nature teachers educators as you say it's not we want to help and many of us don't have children our, ourselves so there's only so much that we can offer as you know a non-parent and um, like you said you we know a lot about child development but we don't know what's actually like at home we don't know what your circumstances are like so there's only certain things that we can do and you know you can go in you can ask for advice and like that you'll build up that relationship and you know sometimes it will work well Sometimes it won't. But like that, it's just about having open communication. But I think for most parents that I speak to, it's probably that like, oh, you're the expert and I'm not. And it's always like, no, no one thinks like that. In fact, it's the role reversal. You are the expert in your right? own child. <laughs> we can just offer some of those more kind of child development aspects or things that we've seen over the years when we work with, you know, 30 children in one classroom. And that's what we can offer. But like that, it's it needs to be, uh, working together as you say
0: absolutely I feel empowered and I feel inspired yeah. just by listening to you so This is great, and I know that our listeners are going to do that too whether they're educators or parents and carers or what it's brilliant this is very much needed thank you thank Good. you I'm glad so at the end of every episode we like to play a little game with our guests are you ready of to course. end a little game oh she's yes. ready she's ready okay <laughs> So it's just a little bit of fun it's called would you rather teacher edition and we're going to cater it to you and maybe get to know you a little bit more and see how you okay. like to, how you like to work <laughs> so our first question is always the same would you rather tea or coffee
1: definitely tea i'm an irish girl so it has to be tea
0: <laughs> oh not a bit of irish coffee you know what i'm saying you know?
1: Oh, sometimes sometimes <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> depends what kind of day I've had <laughs> right I'm with you now are you like a breakfast tea person a herbal tea a fruit tea oh do you
1: know what so me the girls in work when they listen to this will be laughing because I make a whole thing about how I make my tea like it needs to be in a teapot it needs to be tea leaves <laughs> I oh, need to...
0: no tea bags for Jordan
1: I'm a I'm a tea snob I have to say I, lo- I just love like tea from a teapot like, I just love
0: it. It does taste extra special from a pot though. It does. It
1: does. It does. I mean, I will occasionally just use tea bags for that if I'm running out in the morning, but there's nothing better. Like if when my daughter goes down for a nap and I can actually sit down and enjoy a cup of tea in peace and quiet, instead of having it on the go, it's on It's like it's for my own well being. Yeah. <laughs> that, that ten minutes. So it's just... more than
0: just a pot of tea. It really is. So much more. I love it. Uh, Question number two. Would you rather write reports or do parents' evenings?
1: This is actually an easy one for me. I detest reports. That's why my ears (laughs) pricked up when you said that about AI. Parents' evenings, the whole way. I I much prefer speaking to people and like that chance to actually sit with parents, you know, not when they're like at the door and you're giving that quick over That actually, yeah. like, we've got 20 minutes together. Let's just chat about whatever needs to be. But yeah, the
0: idea of writing a report. Oh gosh, I just I don't can't bear it. I'm still twitching, and I'm sure some of our listeners are still twitching from the couple of months that have just gone by because it's just been report writing season forever. Yeah, but yeah. I see. I'm stuck between the two because. I don't like writing reports. I don't, I don't like it. I think they're very impersonal yeah. and also very time-consuming. But like I said earlier, Twinkle, I've got a little AI thing now, a little bot that does it for you. So I'm like, oh, maybe it would get better. But then I'm the same. I really like talking to people and really, and also I feel like reports is a very one-way thing. Yeah, it's you talking to the parent and they can't really respond. Whereas in a parents' evening, it's more of a collaborative discussion, and I prefer exactly.
1: That. It's so much more beneficial. Get rid of the reports,
0: <laughs> right? Just why do we need them? But then also because I'm such a chatterbox, I literally can't talk for the next three days because
1: yeah, I know it what just, you mean. It
0: hurts so much, and I'm like, but I really wanted to talk to them. It was really important, and just the next three days, I am in agony, and the poor kids have got to look after me. That's <laughs> true. Because yes. I'm like, I've been talking to your parents too long. I, I never got a voice. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe oh, I don't know. On the fence on that one, maybe. But I like this last one. Number three. Uh, would you rather teach this edition would you rather learn a new language or a new instrument hmm. oh
1: do you know what I would love I would love to be musical because I love music um mm. and I I can't play any instruments so I'd love that but I also love to travel and when I'm away I'm like oh my god I wish I knew what these people were saying right. um oh I'm gonna say instruments instrument because I
0: mean, music is universal <laughs> language right
1: exactly but it's always good to have at a party like if you can play guitar <laughs> piano it's like whip it out and just be like your little party trick you can play just piano man, whatever saxophone. it is yeah 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 I'm gonna go with the instruments but yeah oh well, that was a hard one <laughs>
0: particular particular one are you going for the guitar Do you I'm going guitar
1: because that's more portable than a piano so <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's true. Less portable than a recorder though. I mean, do you not <laughs> want to do a little recorder thing? Oh no, you?
1: don't. My my sister-in-law got my son a recorder back from her oh. holidays and it was I was like this is a toy for grandma's yeah. <laughs>
0: that, that is very cleverly evil on your sister's part can I just say congrats,
1: congrats. well she's very she she's pregnant now so I can't wait for the revenge oh, for this baby's totally next really
0: birthday t- like a what,
1: tin whistle a violin what else is a bit get annoying a
0: get all of it all harmonica of <laughs> oh my goodness! Let me know when that happens so I can see. I... <laughs> if that is brilliant. I remember I tried the saxophone when I was a kid because oh, I've got gosh. asthma, and the doctors yeah. told me it would be good for your lungs. It would be good for my lungs. <laughs> Didn't it actually work because I ended up like coughing up blood all the time because they were so <laughs> oh, stressed. I just remember one day the sax not being there anymore. <laughs> I think my parents have had enough of the, uh, yeah. in my mind, I was totally Lisa Simpson, do you know what I mean? Oh
1: my goodness, but yeah. I don't
0: think, I don't <laughs> think that was the reality. It you went know? to a new home. <laughs> I'm. I'm just, It's living on the, the, the farm in the sky. Over yeah. Ago, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think I might have to choose languages on that point. Um, yeah. I love learning new languages. I know French and Spanish at the minute. And whenever we had families at school who come from different countries, I was desperate to learn yeah. and I was yeah. like tell me tell me tell me how you say hello in your language and the kids loved it because they were like why do you want to know my language I'm like because I find it fascinating and I would just I think I would really like to learn maybe Chinese or something or Hindi yeah that's just something that's a completely different script
1: I was just going to say the writing aspect of the of that would cause me a lot of challenges
0: <laughs> but I
1: love the idea of it I love the idea yeah, of it That's
0: great and it like, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, it's always good to learn something new, right? Continuing that on. Absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jordan, having you on. You've you've taught me so much and I can just, I can hear the passion. I can hear the passion and the love that you have for the years community, whether we're practitioners or parents or kids. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I'll make sure that everything to do with people... Um, is going to be in the description so they can follow us. But tell us, where can we get in contact with you? Um, So the best way to get in contact is just
1: through our website. So it's people.org.uk. But like that, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're everywhere. Um, So if you want any more information about either coming to do training with us or even just finding out where your nearest groups are, please don't hesitate to get in touch. And like that, we've got a few things coming up. So if you follow Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you'll see all the exciting projects that we've got
0: coming. Yeah, I believe you've got Early Communication Matters program for parents coming up. That sounds good.
1: Yes so this is in the works um like I said earlier when we we're chatting about the kind of speech and language issues at the moment and that huge waiting list for parents and children we have a program just coming out which is basically our tadas our activities for families to do at home to support language and development for children like that it will benefit all children but Children re in particular may be waiting to be seen by SLT. Um, so that'll be coming out and it'll just be for parents um, like that to support them with the knowledge that they need uh, while they're waiting. So once again, something else that will hopefully make a big difference to, to our little
0: learners. No, it's brilliant. What. A- Thanks for that. And I'll make sure, yeah, our lovely listeners can access it. But I'll leave you for now. Thank you so much for joining us. You should probably get back to your little ones now. I've stolen (laughs) you for too long. You must be going mad.
1: I know. (laughs) It's daddy daycare right now.
0: (laughs) Oh, maybe we could leave dad a little bit, just a little bit of punishment. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Have a great day, Jordan. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much. There we are. That was our wonderful chat with Jordan. I'm hoping that you feel kind of relaxed and confident in what you do after this episode because I know some bits are a bit like, oh my gosh, you know, there is a lot to deal with and the attainment gap is a big deal, but you are already doing a fabulous job, right? I think the main takeaways I got from this was whether you're a parent, whether you're an early years teacher or practitioner, or whether you are a specialist like a speech therapist or a social worker or, you know, whatever, just be honest and communicate what you know, because it's very clear that we all think that we know nothing and that the other people are the experts. Guess what? We're both. Yeah, we've all got expertise in lots of different areas. And if we just communicate, then we will naturally be able to support filling the attainment gap, quote unquote. So communicate and collaborate with each other. Be just totally open and also go easy on yourself. We are not able to know everything. That's why we need each other, right? So We work as a great team. First and foremost, we make sure the children are safe and happy and the rest should naturally follow. But... If you feel like you do need more support, then we would always recommend going and speaking to those people. So go and asking the families for more information if you're able to, or going to your setting or your school and asking for additional support. Maybe it's from the SENCO, maybe it's from the head teacher, maybe it's from the support workers that might be working with the family. Don't be afraid to ask questions. So that's the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it was a bit of a heavy one but that's okay if you have any questions or you want to find out more check the description in the episode to go and contact people because they've got loads of support systems there that you could go and look at and of course you know where to find us on social media so whatever you're doing I hope you have a great day today So that's it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you would like to join in or would like to know more, then come and find us on our social media sites. We have a Facebook page, Facebook groups, an Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. All the links of where to find us will be in our podcast description. Come and join the conversation. And whatever you're doing today, I hope you have a great day.